Okay, we're good. You want me to count you in? Always. Okay. 99. 98. <laughs> That's too many. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Brothers Without Banners. I'm Dan, and I'm here with my brother Michael to help lead him through his first time reading A Song of Ice and Fire. We'll be diving into the chapters we're discussing today and those we read before. But the only spoilers beyond the chapters we discuss will come from Michael's vague memories of the first three seasons of Game of Thrones, the TV show, which he watched a decade ago. Today we're discussing John 7 of A Game of Thrones. How are you doing, Michael? Is it actually a decade ago? Uh, yeah. When did like, when did the shows come out? Google, when did Game of Thrones, the TV show, season one happen? Let's Chat GPT, tell me about Game of Thrones. Uh, well, it actually, according to ChatGPT, first aired in 1808. I don't think that's right. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> season one was 2011. So if you watched through season three real time, then yeah, yeah 2013 is, that's is roughly right. Back when TV shows came out once every year. It's like not even a day has passed. I remember as if it was only yesterday, Frodo and Sam Tarly climbing up the mountain of wall ice to go throw bricks at the others you know that was more right than i expected you're welcome i've been paying attention i'm so glad you're learning also i've been thinking about it and yes i do think daenerys is a slay queen <laughs> love it our first reader que listener question uh answered on the podcast no such thing as spam welcome here. <laughs> tweet us we don't at have enough listeners to not read everything you send us what's our twitter handle at brothers without banners Bros with Banners, B-R-O-S. Wait, what's the name of our podcast? It's Brothers Without Banners, but that was taken. <laughs> That's not confusing. It's a, you know what? People can find a damn Twitter handle. Can they, Dan? Can they? Listen, I don't have time to pussyfoot around right now about like whatever bullshit we're chattering about. This was an important chapter we just read. Yeah, it was. Some, some good stuff happening. You get some uh, partial credit, I think. Yeah. For being brilliant, I'm not sure what you're referring to, but I'm pretty sure it has to do with my brilliance. It does. Well, uh, we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. Well, I hope you call out where my credit is due because oh, I felt I will. Par like partial I credit. credit every time that we talk. Um, I want to be clear on this. Partial credit. Uh, full credit is what I hear you saying. <laughs> you, um, you didn't get the gold star, but you got the, you know, the smiley face, but not with its mouth open, just like very very like smiling with its lips like a like a ha you know slightly happy face sticker that's what you got it sounds like a gold star to me you got a decent work sticker i don't even make those you did it <laughs> like sort of sticker like i did do it you got a this was the teacher who doesn't really give out fun stickers it, they just put a sticker on that said completed okay okay i'll take that <laughs> these days i'll take what i can get yeah. um where are we, man? What is this? John 7 we just read? Yeah. I wrote it down. I, <laughs> oh, my God. Look at you go. John John 7. So, John. John's at the wall. This is where we've been, right? We were Last we left John, uh, up at the wall, everybody was getting their uh, sort of positions handed out, and he got stored, which he was pissy about, but Sam Tarley was able to kind of like convince him and make him realize this was really a stepping stone in the right direction. It seemed like he was probably being sort of primed for... Uh, you know, well, taking over a leadership role. Future at, command, at the, yeah. yeah. At the Night's Watch. Um, I'll add just as some color commentary, obviously last episode, and I think even the episode before that, but there is a lot of turmoil happening at King's Landing. Uh, the, the King has died. Ned has been taken captive. 
His daughters are on one is on the lamb. The other one seems to be doing her own espionage against her family. Uh, but John is way up in the north and just doesn't know any of this and is kind of doing his own storyline right now. So that, that's yep. where we where we find it. And that chapter also crucially closed with Ghost sauntering up with a hand in his mouth. Yes, a hand. Uh, and that's where we uh, kind of pick up from. Uh, and I thought I thought we'd dive right in. Yeah, should we check out what's Do going it. on? Take us away. Well, <laughs> uh, well, so that we really literally start on the heels of where we just left off. So while a hand was found, it's clear that we start off now that there's a bit more of an outing put together. They probably went back to base and have come back out now. There's some other people that are there. Yeah, we, we do hear that Maester Eamon has taken control of the hand and it is being preserved in vinegar back at Castle Black. So the they must have gone bear. back and then come back out again. Oh, wait, Maester Eamon's not the big bear. Um, no, that's uh, Mormont. Right. Uh, Mormont is out on this thing, but right, for some reason, they're pickling this hand, which I didn't understand. They're preserving but... it. They're making it so it doesn't degrade, decompose. Dan, there's not a lot of food up in the north. If you got a pick, okay. you got a hand, you pickle the hand. Mm, hungry for hands. <laughs> Don't make me show you these hands. Uh, <laughs> um, but we are now back. We're here again with John. Sam Tarley's there as well. He was with us before when they were doing their prayers and, and their oath to the Night's Watch when the hand was found. Uh, we're also here with not the big bear, but I think his name is the old bear. Yes. Uh, who is the Lord commander of the Night's Watch, as well as a handful of other people, other rangers that have come out as well. Yeah, including uh, Sir Jeremy Ricker, who is the first ranger since Benjamin is missing. Mm, right. Uh, they have found the source of these hands and they're sort of surrounding it and having a conversation. Uh, they point out that these are people that they know. It's Othor. It's Jafer Flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ben so this is this is this is your partial credit. You had said the hand was Benjamin Starks, uh, and that this was was his coming from his dead body, and you were almost right. It was people who were with him, but not him. Well, so, I don't mean to brag, credit. but I think it's important that we play music for this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how the rest of that song goes, but the point is, is that I feel like a commander in chief for getting this so right. Um, they we only are... provide the best. It, this is like ASMR podcasting. Hi, and welcome to Brothers Without Banners. Today, we're talking about pickled hands and what you can do to get the best night's sleep by wrapping your socks with potato skins. Um. Anyway, I heard that's good for fevers. Uh, good to know. But here we are. We have a quite the cadre of people that are out here. We find out that Sam Tarley is out here to be the eyes and ears of Maester, uh, what's his name? Alwyn Amos. Amen. Amen. Um, and uh, we've got the big bear that's out there. We've got John that's with him and a couple of these other rangers, the first ranger that we talked about. And they're really just standing around and looking at these two bodies on, on the ground. Yeah. Um, and there's, a, there's a lot of conversation going back and forth, but I think more importantly than the conversation is the animals that they brought with them are freaking out. The horses are freaking out. The dogs yeah. that they brought are freaking out. The such only a, animal that's not freaking out is John's diary. Right. Such a, such a horror movie tell also, you know, <laughs> if the animals are, are worried, you gotta be worried. Um, so I, I like that that's being telegraphed here. Everything obviously is from John's point of view. Uh, he's 
he's not loving this situation either. There is an eerie feeling about all of this. It's not, it seems to be more than just, oh no, Benjamin Stark's men are dead. It seems to be like there, there's something off. There's something not right about this. Um, John actually goes into a bit of a dream uh, that he's had before, which is this Winterfell dream being down in the crypts. In this case, the dream uh, went even further. This was a dream he had the night before they just came out. Uh, but basically, the dead kings came stumbling out of their cold black graves. And basically, he's having nightmares. <laughs> I don't know what else to yeah. say. Like, the man's freaking out. Yeah, you know, it's it's it makes me think that there was a gap of an evening between uh, what mm-hmm. we saw in this since it was getting dark the night before. Uh, and so it's definitely notable that after recovering this hand, he had a version of the same dream with the crypts, but this time the dead are walking. Uh, yeah. So, you know, subconscious, some of that fear coming out from the eeriness of the day before and the eeriness of today. But this is clearly something on his mind, you know, whether or not it's prophetic or means anything more than that. We at least know that that this is something he's thinking about. I'll say too that uh, reading... You know, reading this chapter, I know we've talked before about what happens when the like the others kill people and they're sort of zombie like coming back to life. My assumption was that's what these characters were or will happen. Right. There's something odd about these characters, the dead characters that are there. Yeah. Uh, you know, we get a lot of references to the state of their corpses that definitely underline how weird this is. Yeah. Uh, their hands are black. They, the blood is very crusty and dry, almost dust like. And we get a note early on that they both have blue eyes, which I don't know if you remember or not, but was the, the telltale sign with Sir Waymar Royce way back in the prologue. I didn't remember, but they did bring it up later in this chapter, at which point yeah, they, I will now pretend to remember. They, they mentioned it up front, and then it, it comes up again in a couple yeah. of pages, which we'll touch on. I will say that uh, the old bear, uh, Lord Mormont, who is the, the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, is quick to cast some aspersions towards some of his men. How could these men be so close to us and we didn't know about this? Well, you know, what, what could have, he's kind of trying to rationalize what could have happened. Especially you know, the fact that they died so close to the wall. He's exactly. saying, you know, we've got these dead bodies within, a, you know, an hour's ride or whatever it may be. How did we not hear them sound their horn? How did we not, how did our patrols not pick up on this? Uh, I will say, and I, I forget who it was that said it. Uh, I think it's Sir Jeremy. Yeah. But basically said like, there's no way we would have missed this. This couldn't have been, this couldn't have happened right under our noses. And we're also short on men. <laughs> like, like yeah. as we've been saying this whole time. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of both. Like, first of all, we can't cover everything uh, because that's just the state of the Night's Watch right now. But also, no, we didn't screw up. It is notable, like I already mentioned, though, that, that Sir Jeremy is the first ranger. So Mormont is specifically blaming him. Right. So this is his him saying, no, it wasn't my fault in response to that, which is a, a pretty natural reaction. I can also imagine it's a bit, I'm sure it's kind of shitty to be in that first ranger position, not by earning it, but by default. The first ranger fell. Now you've been promoted into it by default. Uh, yeah, you know you we know. don't know how these positions get filled, uh, and, and whether the process for Benjamin was any different from this guy. You, you have to assume the first ranger is not the safest of positions if they're out fighting and uh, doing patrols themselves and all of that nature. So you know, it may be he was next up not by line of political succession, but because he was the you know next qualified right. person to. Um, I will say that spattered throughout all of this, it keeps coming back to John, who keeps kind of 
we kind of follow where his thoughts are going, which is going to the others, mm-hmm. which is going to these old man tales of what happens past the wall. Uh, he has, you know, we, the reader, experience this in the prologue with Weimar Royce. You know, we, the reader, have a reason to understand where this could be going. It's kind of funny to see him struggling with what it means to be a child versus a man. You know, he's like, oh, get these thoughts out of your head. There's no way this could be right, but they are right. pervasive. They are coming through. I think it's interesting that the John is at least thinking, uh, and, and you can see some of the paranoia, although that's too strong of a word, but but in this, but John is thinking that others are thinking the same thing he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other people with them. You know, we have Dywin pointing out, you know, it looks like he was killed by an axe. Othor carried an axe, and here's Othor also dead. And then John has this thought process. Sir Jeremy says, you know, I bet it was the wildlings. Who else, my lord? This quote, John could have told him. He knew, they all knew, yet no man of them would say the words. The others are only a story, a tale to make children shiver. If they ever lived at all, they are gone 8,000 years. So it's not just that he's going back to these stories, but that he's certain that everyone else is too. Right. I... Lord Commander Mormont is quick to have a response to this idea that it was wildlings, though. He goes to say that if Ben Stark had come under wildling attack a half day's ride from Castle Black, he would have returned for more men and chased the killers through seven hells to bring back their heads. And I think that's a that's a valid point. I mean, there is, I think, taking a step away for a second, you know, from a stylistic point of view, I get it. I get why this scene is taking as long as it's taking. I think that it worked for this chapter. I think that we all readers and characters present could have and should have come to the same conclusion quite quickly uh and 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 sure enough it's sam tarley who kind of brings it around right i i will say though before going into what sam tarley said uh we get we get a sense of time for the first time in a while here which is that it's been six months since benjen disappeared right i we which i just think is nice to kind of get that sense it really has been a long time yeah, you and I have, um, have talked about that a bunch uh, yeah. of kind of guessing how long it's been. So this is a helpful signpost. Uh, we hear that from Sir Jeremy, who I think mentions an interesting theory that maybe they got caught by wildlings much further away. And these two were the last survivors kind of straggling back in who got picked off not long before they could get there, which is actually a helpful explanation, a reasonable explanation for why they hadn't picked anything up. If it's just two guys exhausted at the end of a long journey where everybody else has been killed, you know, maybe they wouldn't have blown the horn. Maybe they wouldn't have even realized how close they were. Uh, It seems very possible. I'll add that uh, he points out at the end of that, of that sort of like, like statement that he's making that you're, you're pointing at here uh, that these men cannot have been dead for more than a day. Uh, and we have an interruption at this moment. Uh, our, our little uh, portly uh, Master Tarly speaks yeah. up a little bit. There's uh, a moment a little bit earlier with Sam that mm-hmm. leads perfectly into this that I wanted to mention, because I think it's a really important moment for Sam, Sam's character. We learn earlier on, like you mentioned, that he's here to be Maester Eamon's eyes. And he's standing there kind of hiding behind the horses and can't bring himself to look at the dead bodies. John says, you're here to be Maester Eamon's eyes. You have to look at them. That's what you're here to do. And Sam insists he's a coward, and but at John's urging, turns to look at them. And then, of course, we know that Sam is very nervous around the higher-ups, and later, where you just got to, is willing to speak up. And the reason why I wanted to single this out is because of how much it mirrors for me, how much it resembles the first chapter of the book with Bran, where John Mm. tells Bran, 
you have to look. Father will know if you look away when he's executing this man. It's the same idea of you need to be able to look at the dead man and, and show yourself strong enough to do that, make it worthwhile for you to be here, to live up to that. And of course, that chapter shortly afterwards, and, and because of that conversation, includes the very famous line, uh, can a man be brave when he's afraid? And Ned responds, that's the only time a man can be brave. And it's such a perfect way to understand Sam here because Sam keeps saying he's a coward and yet he's doing the things anyway because of the way he was brought up and the way he was treated, he associates cowardice with that feeling of fear, not with what he does in face of in the face of that feeling of fear. And so, you know, what if, what if Sam had been brought up by Ned Stark instead of Randall Tarley and, and had been taught to embrace that a little bit more? How different of a person might have he have become? That's so funny that you bring that up. I was actually just watching an interview with a with a, a film director named John Ford. And John Ford is this film director from ages ago. He did like a lot of John Wayne movies. I think Stagecoach was one that he did. But he's known to be like the director's director. He really made a lot of really incredible films. But I, in this interview, somebody said, you know, oh, how do you come up with this or that? You know, this sort of heroism. And he said, you know, I, John Ford, I was in, I th- this is me paraphrasing. I don't really remember. Right. right but like, like I that that he John Ford was you know in the military and all this, but he knew that everything that he did came out of cowardice, and that in fact the most the men who act the most brave uh, are probably the biggest cowards. They're they're doing it to make up for their cowardice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know those who are actually brave don't have to do much at all, right? They're already confident what they can do. But those out in the front are there with this bravado to to sort of display this cowardice to to, yeah. to counter to cover they, up how afraid they are. Yeah. But they go home knowing that they're still cowards. And while I don't think it's a one-to-one with our Sam Tarley, I do think it's interesting to see that parallel, right? Here's Sam Tarley. And I'm going to go into this, this other thing that I do want to say about Sam Tarley, which is I'm getting this sneaking suspicion that Sam Tarley will will become for me another Sansa. Okay. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is that he's kind of this, not that this is exactly who Sansa is, but I don't, I'll bring that back around. But like, my assumption, based on what I've understood about Sam so far, is that he's about to become a teddy bear character. Kind of cute, kind of in the way, kind of pure, never harmed. Uh, he like, like just this sort of like wonderful sort of like moral boost to scenes. And I don't know if I need that in my life, but so be it. The same way I don't need Sansa <laughs> in my life. But like, uh, okay, if that's if that who he's, he's got to be, then then so be it. Interesting. All right, we'll have to see how that works out. I like that. Um. But with that said, Sam Sam does speak up, uh, even though he was afraid of being a coward and all of this. And he kind of speaks up not only to say words, but to contradict those around him, which I think is really that brave moment for him. Uh, These men are saying, you know, these rangers are saying to the Lord Commander that these men are freshly killed. And Sam points out there's there's no way they were freshly killed because freshly killed means blood stains everywhere. And this blood is congealed. This blood is a goo inside their veins. It's There's like, no it's like dry and crusty. Yeah, exactly. it's like it's even longer past congealed. Uh, and he goes on to say that a fresh kill, the blood would still flow. And uh, and it's it's not. It's just black dust. And uh, there's also, they, they're, they're quick to point out, to contradict this, there's also no corpse stink. Something is wrong here, which I think right. continues to show up. We have these animals freaking out around these people, these dead bodies. We have the fact that the blood is not fresh, but the bodies don't stink. Right. Uh, they're not rotting. But, you know, there, there, there's no uh, – Sam, Sam is the one who pointed that out. There's no maggots on them or worms. They've been lying here, but they haven't been chewed on or eaten by animals. 
only ghost, only the dire wolf is the single animal that's paying attention to these to these dead bodies and not freaking out. Yeah. And we, we actually get a very aggressive version of that right afterwards because, you know, they have this conversation about the smell. They're not corpse. They're not uh, rotting. They're not decomposing. And, and they haven't even been touched by animals. And Chet, who is also here, who is now responsible for the dogs, tries to bring the dogs over to see if they'll they'll get involved and sniff around them and try and figure it out. And he even kicks one of them to get her to move. And instead she bites at him and then runs away when he drops the leash. So yeah. like the, the dogs are completely unwilling to even get involved with these at all. Yeah. I, this is where we finally come to the point where all the men start to point out, Hey, these two men didn't have blue eyes. And now they do something. It, it, this goes back to what you had pointed about John and his inner thoughts about this must be the others, right? Like, mm -hmm. and while nobody here voices it, everybody starts to chant a bit of a chorus together of, we need to burn these bodies. Something is wrong. Yeah. Burn these bodies. Let's get rid of this. Nobody's saying the others. Nobody's saying that it might be, you know what I mean? But at the same Nobody time. Nobody wants to be the one to say it out loud. Yeah. Everybody wants to deal with it as if, as if that it is. You know, this uh, this works ties in really nicely with something we talked about way back in the prologue, which is uh, Sir Waymar Royce uh, and his reaction to the superstitions of the older, more grizzled men that he was with. Because I think it's so easy, and this is what I said at the time, to look at that chapter and look at him as being the idiot young kid, young officer who doesn't deserve the position, uh, refusing to listen to the smarter veterans who are with him. Uh, but at the same time, he goes back from his first experience as an officer and says, well, we got really scared. It seemed creepy out there. Everybody's going to laugh at him. And here you have another example of that, where it does seem like maybe John's picking up on something where everybody or at least a bunch of people are thinking along the same lines of mm -hmm. something, but nobody's willing to voice that concern. Which I think is also like an interesting, an interesting pull and push, you know, the sort of like, like relationship between, uh, you know, the the modernity that these characters live in, and how close they are to these old tales. Everybody's aware yeah. of these old tales. Every it's it's everybody everybody has an old Nan, you know. And old Nan was the person who like maybe lived through it. Probably not even before her. She heard the tales, but like it's not terribly removed from where they are today. But at the same time, it's removed enough that you don't want to be the one to admit it. Right. Absolutely. Um, with that said, you know, we have this little bit of a chorus saying, let's burn these bodies to which Lord Mormont basically says, no, I, I'm not done kind of dealing with this. I want Maester Eamon to, to look at them. And, yeah, which and, makes sense, you know, get the doctor slash professor to figure out the hell's yeah. going on here. And I, and I want to echo what you just said. It makes sense, right? Like, like this is, you know, yes, it makes sense that the infantrymen are saying, let's nip this in the bud right now it makes sense that the the commander the general is saying no 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 no. we got to look into this further this is not something to just brush off uh and so sure i get it um we do have more uh animal reaction they try to put these dead bodies on horses the horses freak out yeah. uh the men have to end up making makeshift sleds out of wood to kind of drag these men on by foot it sounds annoying yeah really Maybe that's the real reason they want to burn them. <laughs> I don't, don't want to have to carry these guys. That's fair, by the way. <laughs> uh, we do have, so so we kind of come to the end of the scene, right? And they're, they're kind of going back now to base and all of this. John takes a moment here to reflect on how warm it is out. Yeah. Uh, and specifically that this is, this is 
not unheard of for the end of the season. And yeah, the old again, men called this weather spirit summer. Yeah. Again, we get a telling of time. This summer has been 10 years long. And a long summer means a long winter. And as we've heard over and over again, winter is coming. Yeah. It's not that this is a concern of global warming. It's not that this is, you know, this heat is here to stay, although it can feel like it. It seems like the wall's shrinking. It seems like, but John also knows that winter is coming. These mm -hmm. are these are bad prognostications about what's about to happen and bad omens, and he knows it. I do think it's interesting how George R. R. Martin uses weather in this context, and he does it in a lot of places, but it's something that I've I've registered a lot where it's used as a scene setting that you can really create a lot of tone with it. And usually warm weather is, it contributes to a, a happier mood. Mm. But in this context mm. where they're in the far North and there's this eerie sense, John is framing it to us and therefore we're seeing it as another thing that's off, another thing that's wrong. And combining that with the fact that they called it spirit summer, I think is uh, another helpful indication that there's something strange, something magical maybe going on here. Yeah. I will say that on their ride back, uh, John reflects again and kind of goes into more detail about stories he heard about the others, these these White Walker characters, these others, as we've heard of them. Uh, and something something struck me here, which I thought was interesting. And, and I'm hopeful for more that we read for this to come out more. But the tales that he talks about is these tales of these others kind of like marching into the South, basically. Mm -hmm. I a lot of what we've heard of, you know, is there's there's it's almost like we have part one and part three of a story, but not part two. Part one is what John is reflecting on here. This is the tales they at one point they were known to have marched all the way into the south and and uh, you know like taken over or whatever it was that they did. Part three is you know we are where we are right now and we need to be aware that this could be something coming. Right? Wow, the others could be coming back, reviving themselves. Part two that we don't hear a lot about is how did the 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 south get rid of the others after right. part one? No, that's such a great question. I uh, and and you, you know we've heard we've heard just a little bit of lore you know we've heard about Brandon the Builder we've heard about the Lannister guy whose name I don't remember Lamey the Lamester or something uh, uh Lan, Lan the Clever oh Lan the Clever which I feel like is pretty close to what I said yeah, you uh, but uh but with this said you know we, there's a sense of hero of heroes there's a sense of mystique and, and and mysticism that kind of comes but at the same time not in relationship to these others the others are sort of a world to themselves as they've been explained to us so far in the writing right they have once taken over they have once without it being said been pushed out by virtue of the fact that they're not there right now i uh, so you have to wonder if that is knowledge that's even available right now or mm -hmm. if there's something somewhere in the buried in the lore that helps give hints to it and from that nature i think it's it's worth calling out the quote that we have here from john the stories that he heard from old nanton who is our font of wisdom in the north it references that the others came in that darkness and we don't know what that darkness is referring to and it says cold and dead they were and they hated iron and fire and the touch of the sun so Maybe there's something there to it, you know, the the gremlin sense of they're afraid of the thing that can defeat them. Uh, sure. So I was I was thinking about just that little too. hints in the stories. Yeah, but I will say that again, like time becomes sort of the 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 weird 
uh, conspirator here about this because my first reaction was, oh, maybe they disappear during summer. But summer is only 10 years old. And for John, for him, he was a baby when it was last winter. But somebody like, else would have seen him. Ned yeah. was alive during, you know, like, like right. it was very much there. The Lord Commander was there. Uh, so I don't know. It's it's interesting. And I don't know. Part of me is hopeful that this becomes a part of the story as we continue mm-hmm. reading. I know there's many more books. Uh, part of me also is forgiving in the sense, if it's not, the fact is, is that some stories need lore and not all lore needs to be uh, a full soup to nuts story. Yeah. It's okay. So I'll, I'll tell you, generally speaking, uh, from that sense, the lore in Game of Thrones, and this was something I brought up way back in our first episode as kind of a precursor to things. The lore is important. Uh, that doesn't mean it's literal. It doesn't mean it's truthful, but it does both have metaphorical and tangible results in what it is that we're dealing with here and then it's also worth noting that that this world has been pretty fleshed out in a fuzzy sense george r R. martin likes to play a lot with the fog of history and how that influences things but in addition to the five books that have been published there are a couple of prequel novellas which recently announced we're getting a tv show in the near future there is a the the more recent tv show that happened is based on the first half of a history textbook about mm. the uh targaryen dynasty which is actually really fun uh, and, and written in a kind of entertaining way as compared to something like the silmarillion and then there's also the world of ice and fire which is again it, it's written as like an in-world atlas Uh, Mm -hmm. So there's like a lot of helpful things in history there that may or may not be accurate and is kind of done in a playful sort of sense. So there's a lot of things out there that help inform this. And some of that's what I'm kind of bringing here to help help pull in and help flesh things out without giving anything away. I'll add to that, that something that isn't lost on me and, and that I, again, I think is intentional. I would assume is intentional from George R. R. Martin. Maybe not, but, but I will as assume that it is because it seems this way is that part of me there there are a handful of things that have gone on that fall into the sort of like quote-unquote mysticism this mystical realm of things you know we touch on it a little bit in the reality of the god's woods right like the sort of this this old religion and what that might mean and what it means to be part of this this the old gods we touch on it a little with ned's dream about the three uh kingsguard Mm-hmm. you know and and the tower and the fight that maybe did didn't happen there you know what's going on there with, with ned's dreams and memories about lysa what are these blue flowers or or the, the you know the blue flowers if i'm not mistaken uh you know and, and what happened to her and what is this mystery there we have john and his dreams now coming up about the winterfell tomes and the the crypts that he goes through there uh tombs not tomes uh yes but but with that said, as a reader so far, there's just a bucket of sort of the mystical dream world, if you will. And there may be divisions between that. I don't know if there's a relationship between John's dreams and what Ned remembered mm-hmm. about these three King's Guards. I don't know if there's a relationship between maybe what those three King's Guards were doing down there had something to do with making sure that these others, these White Walkers, don't come down south again. Or, but I have no idea. You yeah, know what I mean? It just falls into this bucket of mystical uh, for it's, me. It's, we're existing in a world right now where magic exists, but only on the periphery. It's yeah. out of sight. And that's why we have these reactions from these men of 
believing truly that the others existed once, but that they don't now. And right. so that's it, it's more than superstition. It's what if they're back? It's what if there's something we don't know? Uh, and that's grounded in reality, but it's clearly not an everyday part of their life. They don't have a, a resident wizard at Castle Black who is is there casting spells like in some other series. And it makes for an interesting dilemma just exactly like you're saying of how much of this is being influenced by gods or religion or magic or any of that and how much is people being people and we just don't know the answer to that i'll say i think a really great illustration of this inside the book is that room of dragons and i think it's actually Tyrion that was telling it this way although we experienced mm -hmm. with aria but that they're just getting smaller and smaller yeah uh you know and it's like right like there was a time of enormity when it came to this with largest the most recent version of it though was like a like a cat you know like a dog yeah, exactly uh, and it's like right and now they're gone and and it's like it's it's with a whimper not a bang you know it's like it kind of slowly ebbs its way forward I think that's exactly right. But we should keep moving here because we've still got half a chapter to get through. So let's uh, with keep John going. getting back to the wall. Yeah. So John's coming back. I will say there is a brief moment that I just wanted to point out where uh, Lord Mormont uh, gives a, a, a positive like a uh, comment to Sam Tarley and to John yeah. saying, good job. You guys, you guys are new recruits, but you, good job. You, you both made good comments. Sam the teddy bear. Um. John gets back to the wall and is greeted with sort of a little bit of awkwardness that happens. Uh, I, I don't know why, but my mind wanted to say awkwardity. Yeah, uh, that works. But I don't think that's <laughs> a word. Um, but it turns out that there's a crow that's here for, I'm sorry, it's a crow? It's a raven. Raven. Yeah, they use ravens to carry messages. It's a raven uh, who uh, has come to carry uh, news, it's for Lord Mormont, and for some reason, you know, when Lord Mormont says, tell me what was in it, the guy looks at John and then says, maybe you should read it by yourself. Yeah, I think we as the reader kind of have a sense of what this, what this raven is carrying. Yeah, there, there's like three or four of these in a row where John gets in and then sees Alistair Thorne, and he gives him a look and kind of grins at him. Donald Noy says, the gods be with you, and then John finds his friends who tell him Robert is dead. Yeah, uh, and, and so there's all these people kind of seeking John out to say something to him. And John's like, I don't really get what's going on here, but we know. And I'll stress that too. John is, is tasked to leave uh, Lord Mormont to go do his store duties, put the horses away and all of this. John does. He tarries a little bit. He sees his friends. They tell him the news, basically the King's dead. Uh, and, and his friends are saying, we're kind of, we're with you. Like, like basically you're our brother. Yeah, uh, and this this happens over a, a couple of pages here. But you're our brother, which makes Ned our father, basically. You know, in a weird extension of this, I think it's Sam that says that and puts the yeah hits that on the nose, which is an it's awkward thing. Too. But whatever, yeah. Sam's awkward. They're um, just being nice. I'll add too that before John finds this out, uh, he's he does go through like like a very rational set of thoughts which is because he first hears about the king being dead and he's like oh maybe my dad's gonna go back to winterfell i'd love to see him and my sisters yeah. uh and then you know the other shoe comes down which is like oh no no he's also been taken prisoner uh yeah. in in fact That's and that happens after a minute of time he's called he realizes he's called back to lord mormont's like like chambers where lord mormont says pour yourself a drink and sit down because i got news to tell you and it's that your father has been branded a traitor basically and is, is mm -hmm. held captive. Um, 
There's a brief aside here where mm-hmm. Lord Mormont is trying to avoid the topic and just has this quick line that I wanted to call out because it's some interesting info that we didn't necessarily know. He says, they say the king loved to hunt. The mm-hmm. things we love destroy us every time, lad. Remember that. And then he says, my son sold those poachers because of the woman, he, the, the wife he had that he loved, a vain woman. Uh, and so that is, uh, we have to assume a reference to Jorah, who is with Danny who we know is in exile for selling poachers, but we have not really heard anything about a wife or anything like that there. So just a little little note on another character who's very present in our lives. I'm so glad you said that because I made a question mark about this line exactly. And I was like, who the hell is his son? Uh, yeah. Oh, Jorah it's that guy. Mormont. It's yeah, the guy with exactly. his same last name. That, that makes sense. <laughs> it's uh, it's useful names. Um, Lord Mormont is gets to the point quickly though. And as, as somebody in his position, I, I understand doing. John, sit down. Your father's been taken prisoner. He also is kind of wonderfully uh, politically correct about this. And I don't mean that in like the sort of capital P, capital C way of now. But he's basically like, listen, like, it's none of our freaking business right now. You are a man of, you're a brother of the Night's Watch. You are here. We are here. We're not taking sides on this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to write a letter. I'll see what I can find out. But don't forget your oath. Like, stay present. Don't make a mess right now yeah he actually specifically says uh ned stark is a great lord you know capital g capital e as as the lord of the north uh he has the right to take the black i'm gonna urge him to do that we could use him here which would be an an interesting way for things to head for john for sure i'll say that john even has a thoughtful reaction to that that i marked down too which was that he's like man let me try to imagine my my father up here and he's like I don't know if I would love that. <laughs> yeah, like, that'd be weird. Uh, which I get. Like, like I think that, you know, here you are, you have this kid on his own sort of path and he's really decided to strike out on his own, going back chapters and chapters. Now I'm deciding to take the black. I'm doing this. I think the idea, what, what would anything mean now if his father showed up here? <laughs> I, it right. would turn everything upside down, which is just kind of interesting. Um, I will add... Uh, Good old Lord Mormont uh, likes to give me personally a pat on the back, saying, pity that Tyrion's not down there. That man at least understood how much we needed men. Yep. Too bad your mother took him. It was a bad thing your mom took him captive. <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. It was. What a dumb move. What an you idiot. You and the Lord Commander, hand in hand here. Listen, if we need to refer to me as Lord Commander, I get it. Like, All right. I, I Lord Commander Michael. On, I like on it. the same line. Uh, but I will say that John is quick to respond by saying, uh, by reminding Lord Mormont that Lady Stark is not his mother. <laughs> yeah, not my mom. Crucially, really a central part of John's character. I uh, Lord Mormont does take a moment to say, this couldn't have happened at a worse time. I can feel it in my bones. We need a strong king right now. We need yep. somebody who's going to stand. We've like, got like, Joffrey. Yeah. I, to which I'll say that his comment also is not very political as much as it is like Joffrey's a kid, you know, yeah. like like it's not a, a Robert Baratheon who's, I guess, in his 30s or 40s, I suppose. Yeah, uh, and this is kind of rooted in history here, you know, whether or not you have the succession crisis, the, the risk surrounding a boy king, a, a young monarch, a child monarch is just scattered throughout the pages of history uh, over and over and over again. This is such a huge problem because it leaves a power vacuum where you have power players vying for who's in control, who controls the the 
the ruler and who's actually running the show and you just right. end up with factions fighting with each other when mormont is feeling like they're going to need to be unified mormon's also pretty astute about all of this i mean he's quick to point out that like he's pretty sure that it's the queen that's running the show not Joffrey. Mm -hmm. you know it's like but uh, he says it you know with the perspective of distance which is right you know when when the throne changes hands there's no way that the 14 year old is the one running things it's like right like well, he may think he is but and and i think there's a, there's a good uh uh sort of direct perspective that mormont has on the situation and the need for in this case john snow but by virtue of that the the, the knights of the watch to stay rooted in what their task is this is yeah. our task this is what we do well they None rely on the throne for so much they they really can't risk bothering anyone because they need supplies they need yeah. men they need to not be attacked by the, the capital uh and if john goes and does something brash as a man of the night's watch then that's gonna cause problems for all of them with that said the conversation comes to a close with lord mormont basically saying listen i know this is a lot of tough stuff that you're hearing right now i'm gonna write letters we'll find out but it's out of our hands keep your nose clean for right now don't Stay do anything trouble. stupid yep I uh, get out of here. Let, w w there's nothing, literally nothing you can do. Just keep it together. Um, John, Which John leaves, immediately ignores. <laughs> right. Uh, but I will say that John goes through before ignoring it directly goes through a really wonderful. And I love this little arc that happens right here. He leaves and he realizes that everyone knows, right? This right. is not a secret. The word is out. His friends know the guards know he's getting nods from guards and things like this but he finds himself surrounded by his friends and he realizes that it's not just that everybody knows and they must be criticizing me oh this bastard of a traitor and blah 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 but in fact they know and they're here to support me they, we're all one together and and i think that's a really beautiful thing that he gets to experience and feel it was fun for me as a reader to watch him go through this oh god you know i thought i was i was going out on my own here and now i'm sunk back down by in this case not the virtues but the sins of my father right you know and what and i have to defend my father but it turns out people are really supporting him Almost until everyone <laughs> <laughs> until dinner <laughs> at which point he hears uh who is it it's alistair sir alistair sir, yeah sir alistair. The same asshole every time every time which i gotta say is a little bit overwrought here but so be it uh <laughs> it's kind of a dick move what happens here too sir alistair he basically john overhears sir alistair saying and i don't think i have the quote right in front of me not only a, a bastard but a traitor's bastard a traitor's bastard somehow making this about john uh which is a pretty dick thing to say whether you yeah, like this, this person or asshole. not yeah it's uh uh john without hesitation grabs a dagger and goes to lunge at sir alistair he is pulled down by three or four of his friends uh to prevent him from doing something real real stupid yeah uh let's keep it at a little stupid yeah and again i understand it i mean it's a real it's like a dick provocation from sir alistair but right so be it uh i'll say from a distance it feels like it was kind of a a convenient thing to happen to get john in the right place but so be it okay fine uh, <laughs> fair anyway uh this this little fuss comes to an end quickly without anything really happening besides john being thrown into a cell uh specifically in lord mormont's tower basically like in the castle i guess i don't i have no idea but basically john is pinned and basically is told by lord mormont i told you not to do anything stupid yet here you go you're stripped of all your stuff right now sit in this cell we'll figure out what to do with you tomorrow here's your dog 
you know, the two of you can stay in the cell right now. Yeah, so so it's it's not just any cell, it's his sleeping cell. So he stays okay. in Mormont's tower. That's the, just where he is because he's Mormont's servant. Uh, and and okay. so they confine him to his room effectively rather, rather than Fair. like a prisoner cell, which makes a little bit more sense, but you know, put some guards on the door, lock him in. And that's exactly what happened. He's locked in. And you know what? It sounds more like a cooling moment than it is a real punishment punishment. Yeah, like moment. we'll deal with it later, maybe. Yeah. We'll figure yeah. out if there's more serious repercussions needed. And while Sir Alistair was a dick, literally everyone else that we came into contact with was really supportive for John. I can assume yeah. that there's a little bit of uh maybe a uh, little grace. Yeah, a little grace here uh for John. But anyway, he sort of stripped of his sword and, and said, Why don't you just chill in here? We're putting a guard at your door. You're not going anywhere. Here's your dog. Just chill here for tonight. John is amped up and basically says, I'm not sleeping tonight. I'm gonna ugh, amped. Uh and then he falls asleep. Yep. Um, that, uh does not go great. He wakes up trembling. Uh we kind of get into this next part of the chapter. He wakes up, he's freezing cold. And Ghost is going nuts, specifically yeah. at the door. Tearing Ghost at is the door. tearing at the door. There are scratch marks deep, like torn deep into this door. And, and uh, to honestly, this is how I read it, at least. John kind of turns around and thinks that Ghost is going to come at him. Ghost, mm-hmm. it's me. <laughs> like, yeah, he little, like snarls at him. Yeah, it, it's going to, what are you doing? Uh, John realizes maybe that Ghost is, is freaking out because of the guard at the other side of the door. Uh, it's that you know somebody else that's there, um, and uh, and and John. I, I don't remember if he calls on the other side of the door, but he doesn't hear. No, me. he just he just pulls at it like to see if it's open, and it is. And it is open, and not only is it open, but he finds on the other side of it that his guard was sprawled bonelessly across the narrow steps, looking up at him, looking up at him, even though he was lying on his stomach. His head had been twisted completely around. Yeah horrifying stuff i i you know i've talked before about the different genres that show up over the course of this and i made a brief reference earlier with the animals freaking out as the very early scenes of the horror movie and now we're into it this is the jump scare monster portion Mm -hmm. very very much so a horror vibe i'll say and we brought it up at the beginning of the chapter i don't think that the presence of the others was too much of a shock to us the readers given what we were told at the beginning of this chapter but it really led itself to this. We, the readers, know this. And more than that, John seems to have a sense of this. Uh, you know, something supernatural is going on here, and he's aware of it, especially because of Ghost's actions and reactions to what's going on. Sure enough, John grabs the sword from the guard who's on the ground dead. Uh, he and Ghost start making their way towards Lord Mormont's like chambers. The fear is mm-hmm. that somebody's going after Lord Mormont. He he actually hears a door opening, so so he knows that there's somebody going in there to Somebody's go after more Uh And then he saw it, a shadow in the shadows, sliding towards the inner door that led to Mormont's sleeping cell. A man shaped, a man shape, all in black, cloaked and hooded, but beneath the hood, its eyes shone with an icy blue radiance. I, it's hard for us to not know exactly what's going on here. And honestly, it's hard, I think, for John to assume anything else. Uh, Ghost leaps at this. We have a fight scene, basically. Mm -hmm. John and Ghost are fighting with what we find out is Othor, uh, who is supposed to be dead, as John brings up many times. Uh, He's supposed to be dead. What's going on? It would be hard not to think of that in the moment. There's a lot of wonderful little bits of body horror here. 
uh, Othor's other arm comes off, I think, and then is crawling. It was uh, it was the other guy's hand that goes ah, to Tad. Okay. So, so Othor loses one, and uh, <laughs> and that hand is crawling and trying to like complete whatever business Othor is doing. At the other hand of Othor, he shoves down the throat of John. Uh, which starts to freeze John's innards to a certain extent, and yeah, I like I, the, the the smell that engulfed him was so queer and cold he almost gagged. I uh, and uh, and we have the the Raven. We have Lord Mormont's Raven is cawing, saying "corn" over and over. It's, it's a tumult corn. Is going on. for once, not corn. Uh, it starts with corn. Burn the Raven cod. Burn, burn, burn. And then it goes to burn. I think it started with corn. Yeah, it starts it with, start corn. with corn. Okay, that's my bad. Uh, no, that's fine. But then it does go to burn. Uh, at, at a certain point, Lord Mormont kind of comes out of his room, kind of groggy eye to see what's going on. Uh, and uh, Holding John, a lamp. Yeah, John tries to yell for help and can't get the words out. His tongue is really frozen right now just by the virtue or like whatever mm-hmm. it was, the trauma to his mouth that had happened. But John grabs the lamp, and we are reminded, not directly, but by actions of what John had thought of earlier from old Nan, which is, you know, they don't love iron, they don't love fire. Uh, And John takes the lamp and throws it on curtains that he had pulled down to let more light in, lights up, like basically ignites a fire in the room, and I think shoves uh, this, this other onto the fire to watch it basically burn burn to a crisp. Or we don't even know. He crosses let it his burn. Fingers. He prayed yeah, as it. the cloth smothered the corpse. Gods, please, please let it burn. And that and that rounds out the chapter. I mean, that's that's the end of it right there. Uh, yep. we, we, what a what a what a chapter. What a ride. I mean, like, yeah. Uh, we finally get some payoff to the hint of these these ice zombies from the prologue. A little I know that something's I, happening. I said ages ago, but I you know I, I I said that it's it's a kind of a pity to me. And this is a long time ago, but that uh, this feels more like a. A, a political, you know, like 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 a, a a politics story in the clothes of of fantasy, and we're here back at fantasy, which I yeah. really love. Yeah, uh, which is just so so much fun. So we gotta we gotta close out the way we usually do and get some thoughts on you. I'll start off with the the quasi cliffhanger they give us. Does this work? Is Othor finally dead? Dead? Is the fight continuing? Is John in trouble? What what are we doing here? Yeah, I hate to always take what I think is like the obvious and simple explanation, but yeah, I think Othor is dead. No, I think in uh, this context, that's probably fair. And and I think that not only is Othor dead, but it's actually going to do a, a it's going to give a good excuse to the Night's Watch leadership to ignore John's stupid actions with Sir Alistair. You okay. know, there's bigger things at stake here than the idiocy of a child in a moment of emotional intensity yeah i mean you'd hope it it would be a bummer if if they were like okay now that that's now that the revived dead guy is dealt with let's go back to your show trial it it turns Uh, out this is the last john chapter ever and now it's going to (laughs) switch to sir alistair who is actually tasked with like leading the the hunt about the others yeah like uh and john was never heard of again as he spent the rest of his life as a steward at the night's watch (laughs) I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna circle back to part of your answer there, but I briefly want to ask: There is a second body that they brought back to the castle. Is anything going to happen with that? Are we, you know, waiting on that other shoe to drop? Was something happening at the same time? We did not see what Jaffer Flowers was doing here. Yeah, I don't know. I think that you know it, it wasn't lost on me that 
these characters, the Othor and, and Jafer, were were about to become these sort of zombie others. And that I don't know if this is a strategic way to get inside, which I don't think it was. But now that they were there, like no wonder they were just kind of going on a killing spree, mm-hmm. or at least Othor was. Uh, I am curious. I, like it did, it did occur to me. Like, where's the other guy? Like, were they not locked up together in the same morgue? Right. Uh, part of me assumed that Othor must have been somewhere else, and like that's why he was on this killing spree. It didn't. I didn't think that maybe like, like oh, like this scene ended and John Eight is going to start with, and here's the six people that the other guy murdered. <laughs> and, right. Uh, okay. You know, but uh, I don't. Well, know. We'll see with that. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me though. Like, like part of me thinks, and I wonder if this is just straight from trope. Uh, but like, now they're going to have a pet other monster. <laughs> no, you know, and he's he's locked up in a cell somewhere, and they're going to be able to try to like look at his awfulness or what? What was what was that garbage movie from like a decade ago? That was uh, it was when all the the zombie film was in vogue, but it made it a love story where a person fell in love with the zombie she captured. Oh yeah, like my beating heart or something like, <laughs> something uh, like de- that, dead yeah. like me or something. I, I don't remember. Was, I know was, exactly was the movie. Like that. Yeah, uh, that's a stupid. I, movie. I have to imagine I'm the first person to reference that movie since it came out. Yeah, literally. I think we must be the only two people that saw it. Um, Listeners, if you loved that movie, let us know. Yeah, let us know. Are you a, uh, I wanted to say Slay Queen again, but it makes no sense. Um, no. Uh, I have one bigger question than, than sure. the two that I've asked so far, though. So you were referencing that the Night's Watch would be more focused on this than on John's little crime against his superior officer, which seems reasonable. So what are they going to do? I mean, this is, this is a pretty clear confirmation of the presence of the others most likely maybe less likely if they're being cautious or stupid about it uh, of at least some sort of mystical threat from beyond the wall what's the reaction here what what's the next step well yeah good question i i'm going to give you a lot of answers but i i okay. I, I think that this is an interesting the way that the scene has been set up for us over chapters and chapters now, I think puts us in a really interesting and kind of precarious position. I don't think that this act is going to catalyze action of people outside of this area. So, because it means that those at the Night's Watch need to write letters to those down in the South saying again that they need more supplies and more support and all of this. And in fact, we need it because there's a new thing, which is magical beasts from across the wall are coming back and try to kill us. And that yeah, just doesn't sound compelling to me, especially with what's going on in the South at uh, King's Landing and Joffrey and the Lannisters and all that just happened down there. It conjures up Tyrion's reaction from before he went up on the wall and had that moment of, yeah, what are you even sure? Okay. Yeah. Pumpkins and snarks, you know, whatever. And with that said, I don't think that the Night's Watch is well prepared as it stands right now to really do much of anything about what just happened. Uh, what are they going to, they don't have enough people to send more Rangers across the wall. And even if they could, what are they looking for? Mm-hmm. You know, what are they trying to accomplish here? I think the idea would be like, try to get more reinforcements up at the wall. I I wonder. Yeah. I, I don't know what this is going to change about the situation. I yeah, but like know. it feels like something has to, right? You know, if you're Lord Commander Mormont, you can't not act in the face of this, whether it's even just gathering more information to figure out the nature or the size of the threat. You're kind of, you know, something's out there and you know nothing else about yeah. it right now. 
And I do wonder, and it brings me to my last thought about it, which is that like, I assume this will catalyze the Night's Watch to be more focused on what they're doing and give them a bit more of a mission than just sit on the wall and Mm -hmm. what they've been doing. We want to exclusively find more information about this. We need to focus our our ranger, you know, mounts out in this direction. But I I don't really know. It's funny because I'm stretching my brain back to trying to think about the TV show. And there's a huge gap in my recollection about the TV show between John at the wall and John in a situation that's not at the wall. But I don't remember how he got there. I'm not trying to to spoil it, right? Like, 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 Like to anybody who's listening, but like, like, I remember John at the Night's Watch. I don't remember this scene, by the way. I don't remember yeah. others being being here. And then I remember John, I think he was on a raid or something, but then like ended up somewhere north of the wall, kind of by himself or or whatever it was in a situation that happened up there. I can't remember for the life of me how he got from point A to point B. And I assume that that must be something that happens out of this. I assume, but I don't, I don't know. And I can't put my finger on it. All right. Well, we'll have to find out how much of that was accurate and uh, how much of it happens and how it comes about. Amazing. Well, I can't wait. What are we reading next? We've got two chapters next time, back to a a double feature. It's going to be Brand 6, so we're headed to Winterfell for the first time in quite some time, we assume, unless Brand's gone somewhere brand new. Uh, And Danny 6. Hey, uh, Danny 6. So going back across the the sea to see what came about after Viserys died. Uh Amazing. Well, I cannot wait, and I hope we get back to John soon, because I am curious about what's about to happen on this wall. All right. Well, I'll talk to you then. All right. Thanks, Dan. That's all for this episode. Next week, we'll be discussing two chapters, The Game of Thrones Brand 6 and Danny 6. If you enjoy our episodes, please help us out and help other people find us by subscribing and rating the podcast, and tell us your feedback or thoughts or any questions you have on Twitter, at Bros with Banners. Thanks, as always, for listening. Okay, bye everyone.